Uh, first of all, I want to greet you on behalf of my family. Then also to just say thank you. Really to say thank you to you all. You don't realize, I was sharing this with one of the home groups or small groups or whatever you call them. We call them city groups, but whatever group, whatever. Uh, I was with them and I just want to say what I said to them. Thank you. You have an influence way beyond yourselves. There are children in India who will not be sold into temple prostitution, women who have been set free from that uh, form of slavery, human trafficking, because of your investment. You say, how have we invested? Because you're connected to all of us, your investment in what God's doing in Joel, what your God's doing in Francis. And then there's children in Africa. Uh, hello, there's children in Africa. I've seen them, so have you. I've, I've been there, I've seen them, and they have grown up with dignity and worth, knowing not only the facts about Jesus, but living the lifestyle and a hope. They were orphan children, and they are not orphans anymore because of you. And, and there's a school, and the pastors say thank you, a school in Hope College uh, in Zambia, and they say thank you. Uh, another orphanage in Zimbabwe says thank you. Pastors in Argentina, ah, yeah, you have influence in Argentina, say thank you because of your investment in them. You say, I don't even know who they are. You're part and you are parcel of who we are and you are being influenced or you're you are influencing those places for Jesus poor people who have been blessed with a jubilee for a poor in Minneapolis St. Paul area and I could go around the world and say these people Chinese Chinese say thank you. There's a church of about 6 million Chinese right now who are being influenced by who you all have invested in prayer and time and money and some of you have gone and suffered almost arrest. Uh, they say thank you and they legitimately say thank you. I stand right now on behalf of Jesus and say thank you. Way to go, Basildon. You have an influence all over. You see, sometimes we think if we're part of something, it's an institution. But really, it's just an extension of us. And so you are body members of the whole world, and the whole world church says thank you to who you are in Basildon, but also what you've done elsewhere. Do you, do you receive that? Yes. Uh, turn to 1 Samuel, and we're, we're going to be looking at really chapters 8 through 12. You're on a series, and being the submitted brother that I am, when I found out you're on a series, I thought you should stay within the context of your series, because Jesus has things he wants to say to you. And the interesting thing, this is 1 Samuel, we're going to read a few verses in chapter 8, that it comes out of this book called Judges. And, and Judges is a, is a kick. I mean, if you want to read a weird book of the Bible, read Judges. I used to think the reason for the book of Judges was to tell us how despicable God's people can get. That, honestly, that's the way I read it. And until one day, um, the, the author of the message, Eugene Peterson, wrote an introduction which really caught me up, you know, kind of like we, I had this prejudice against them. And do you realize God never chastises uh, Samson for being Samson or whatever? But they're kind of weird and strange people. And I learned this. Out of that book of Judges, God's basically saying, if this is the best you give me, I'll use it. 
God doesn't wait for us to become perfect or to even act and always like him before he's ready to say, if this is the best you give me, I'll use it. God uses very imperfect people. I learned that when I was a young pastor. I had to get to the place that God's people are imperfect and I needed to learn with less, live with less than perfect because I knew the perfect Jesus. It was okay. God's people are all over the place at times, but God loves them, okay? And that's why Paul could say of first, the first or the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians he said this, he said, you're proof of my apostleship. They are a weird bunch. They're getting drunk at church. I mean, you know, really drunk. I mean, like, uh, they're, they're, they're hoarding food at church when they come together. And, and they're well, there's a lot of other stuff, which I won't go into. They're less than perfect, but the perfect seed of Jesus was among them, and he began to use them from where they were, leading them to where they were to go. That's what this passage is about. So I'm going to read it. It's uh, Samuel's the last judge uh, in uh, Israel. Then it turns to kings. And uh, lest you think that they're making a king is something they just made up on their own, it was predicted word for word in Deuteronomy 17 that this would occur. So God saw it coming. It wasn't like, ah, man. He saw it coming, but he knew their motivation might not be totally right. But God used it. So they're coming out of the book of Judges. When Samuel grew old, uh, he appointed his son. So let's pick it up here. When Samuel grew old, verse 1 of chapter 8, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. You know, the problem is succession. Who goes after us? We've got to figure that one out all in every generation. And here it is, succession. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served Beersheba, but his sons, now this is key, did not walk in Samuel's ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Have you heard this one before? <coughs> Both in the church and in politics and any means, people can use whatever they are for abusive purpose, and usually it's for self-gain, okay? So, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, you're old. <laughs> you, you, could, you could look at me and say, you're old, Jim. Uh, I love this picture. I've been looking at it all during worship. Do you like this picture? Does it, what is it, I don't know. It captures for me life. And, and it, okay, I may look old, but I'm that way on the inside. <laughs> That's, that's who I really am. That, that's what I am still. I might be old, but I'm not old. I'm, I've got a kid's heart. I've got grandkids. So anyways, the, all the elders come and they, say, they said to him, You're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And I think that's the issue, such as all the other nations have. But you've got to remember the purpose, the book of Judges also kept saying, and all this stuff happened when there was no king in Israel. Okay? So the people were looking for change. They knew this isn't working out. Just like Eli's sons didn't follow, Samuel's sons weren't following, and they want to have a king just as in everywhere else. And basically, appoint uh, a king to lead us as all the other nations have. Verse 6, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. 
Yeah, it would be. It means a change. It's even a change of kind of government. It's a total change. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen, listen to this. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they're doing to you. Now, you listen to them. Uh, That's interesting. But warn them. I'll come back to that. But warn them and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. It's interesting that when Samuel grew older, his sons were not following in his ways. Samuel's sons abused their positions. It was bad. And they wanted a change, not just in leadership, but in government. They wanted a different kind of government. And God grants that request, as I've already read. But, and, and you could see that, that Samuel think, takes a personal, and God says, don't take it personal. This is an issue. Now, I find this text really interesting in that God is ruling through us and with us. Here's God Almighty saying, okay, I'll go with the flow. I will appoint a king. Not, oh, go find one. He says, I will work with you on this. He does list some things that are going to happen. Taxes. How many of you like taxes? Isn't it fun when you pay the VAT? <laughs> Don't you love the toll? Bro- you can just give a little more to the crown, you know, just a little bit more. Yeah. No, we don't like taxes. But they, they said, amen, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, and, and they voted in. Because up to this point, they were paying their tithe, but now they had to increase it and pay a tax. So there you go. He, he does warn them, but ultimately, you don't find God in this passage saying, and I'm going to really punish you. He says, I'll find a king for you. Samuel, we're going to go with the flow. This is okay. God, my people want this. I'm going to go with the flow, and we're going to find you a king. Because Samuel didn't find the king. God chose a king. So then when you go along here, and I realize for you who know the whole book and the story, Saul did end up like a lot of people. He didn't end well. But you got to read the text as it's written right now. He started as the chosen man of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and bringing the life of God to his people. So it goes on, and he, they choose him. And then in verse chapter 10, verse 3, you can read it. It talks about supernatural signs. It says three men, uh, Samuel is now talking to uh, uh, Saul, and says, Saul, uh, not only am I going to anoint you with oil, but I'm going to tell you the future. And he says, after you go up to Gibeah of God, where there's a Philistine outpost, as you approach the town, this is chapter 10, verse 5, you will meet a a procession of prophets coming down from the high place that have lyres and tambourines and flutes and harps being played with them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord came upon, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power. And everything that Samuel said about that took place affirming to Saul, who really wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. You ever been called by God and you go, who, me? That's kind of where Saul was at. Who, me? And Samuel told Saul, my God is going to change you. Mm -hmm. Not try hard to be a king now, would you? Would you try not to blow it? 
Would you really be, you know, here's some king lessons, and, and would you go away, you know, to uh, at least to Cambridge and get some king lessons? And maybe, maybe, maybe the Duke of Windsor will help you out too. Uh, no, he, he didn't say get king lessons. He's saying you're going to be changed. You're not, your name is Saul, but you're going to be changed. And the interesting thing is, all of this took place. It actually happened. He was chained, uh, changed. And it says in verse 9 of chapter 10, As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled. And the reason I'm getting to this point, and you can read the whole story, is I want you to know it's all about the extraordinary God. God changes ordinary people to extraordinary. It's, when you get together to pray, don't worry if you get a special feeling. I have seen more people changed and healed through ordinary prayer to an extraordinary God than I ever did through people who even have the great healing ministries. That does not mean I debunk them. It just says as a, as a pastor, I am amazed when children pray. Uh, this, this may sound a little you know, manipulative, but it wasn't. There were times as elders of the church I was in, God instructed us to ask the children. We were very careful that they didn't have pressure on them. Would you pray for such and such? And they did, and the person was raised up. God uses ordinary people because he's the extraordinary God. And so Saul was anointed, and yet he had not been ratified. Do you know what ratification is? The call of God can be on your life, but no one else sees it. And that's okay. It's okay. You don't need to drum up your own ministry. Because it will become now evident to the people. And you'll see in the story when it actually turned and it became evident to the people. Well, Saul ended up prophesying. This had never happened. They said, is Saul among the prophets? There was such a distinct change inside of him. And basically what uh, Samuel said from that point is go do whatever is in your heart for you are now God's anointed. And, and, and I, I know a lot of churches, and, and we, we reduce, especially among a lot of charismatic style churches, sometimes we reduce grace to getting saved, having money, and being healthy. And there's nothing wrong with those three things. Getting saved is important. But the grace of God is the power of God dwelling in you. It is, for, it is the power to do, not just to be. It is the power to see the kingdom of God expressed through you. And the kingdom of God, again, is the, the sovereign or supreme, the supreme powerful rule of God. So when Jesus said, don't look here and there for the kingdom, for the kingdom of God is within you, he's saying the supreme rule of God is now in you. When he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this earth, he's saying, you don't understand, there's a greater power dwelling in a, well, it's soon to be dwelling in everyone that was a believer, than is even from uh, the king uh, Caesar. This power comes from above, and it changes the world. Now, this is good pie in the sky talking, but let me, let me just say this. Christianity is the only religion that I know and I've, I've traveled a bit. In fact, I, uh, I appreciate, where are you going to go back to in India? 
Okay. Do you know uh, Joel? Onesimus? If you don't, it's a big country. Okay, never mind. <laughs> you, you look like, oh, Joel, who? I'm part Indian. I just wanted you to know that. Uh, I don't look it, do I? <laughs> you see, I have a daughter from Calcutta. So she's very Indian. She was born in Calcutta. She, she we adopted her. So I'm part Indian. Namaste. Okay? I'm part Indian. So you just have to accept that, brother. You, I may not look like it, but I'm part Indian. I don't know where I was going with that, but I, I will say this. The prayers that go for you are exactly what I am expressing. The kingdom of God dwells within you to be expressed out of you. The power to do is in the presence. Christianity, and that's where I was, traveling around the world, Christianity is the only religion that I know on the face of the earth that God dwells in us. Not just around us, not just in meetings, But he goes with us. You are armed and dangerous. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the universe, dwells within ordinary you. And you make the ordinary extraordinary, whether you work, whatever school you go to, wherever you work, whatever you do. And that influence, providing we just have enough faith to say, go for it, Jesus. So Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and died and gave himself for me. And the whole point of Galatians 22 is to tell the Galatians, don't do it on your own. You're, 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 you're trying to do it on your own. And the thing that changed Saul was the Holy Spirit. Now later on, maybe he tried to do it on his own, but he started with the Holy Spirit and responding to what God made him to be. I consider this an important verse. That one in Colossians, you know, that says this, the mystery is this Jesus in you, hope of glory. Mm-hmm. You say, why do I need to know that? Because if I try to be a Christian or do a Christian on my own strength, my own power, it won't work. I can remember, this is practical. I, I remember my oldest daughter when she was a young girl. She was feisty. I, I love those feisty kids. Uh, she was feisty. She, you know, if you, if you said don't step over this line, she just had to put her toe over it. Just had to do that. It was in her nature. It's who she was. And, and I enjoyed it, but it was a, you know, kind of a contest. And I remember one time, you know, we brought discipline to her, I did, and and I was in a room and I was talking to Sarah and I, and I you know, said, uh, she admitted now it was wrong and all this, and I said, do you understand, you know, the, the rules of Munsonhood, uh, that you don't do this? And she said, yeah. And will you do it? And she said, yeah. And then I would look at her and say, Sarah, you don't have a fat chance of obeying me. <laughs> then I would ask her, who lives in you? And she'd go, Jesus. Because <laughs> she knows where this was going. She said, Jesus. And I said, you better pray that Jesus, Galatians 2, we, we actually used a castle thing to explain that the Jesus who dwells in you, you better ask him right now to start obeying through me. Can he obey? Uh-huh. Then you better ask him to obey. Do you know what? It worked because she leaned on the power that is within her, not just her smarts, not just her effort. It worked for her. Mm-hmm. I can't do what's right, but Jesus can within me. 
And, and there are plenty of times, plenty of times, I think uh, I've probably shared this before, but I'll say it again. One, whenever uh, I do a wedding, I always say the secret uh, of why I'm really a Christian is not because I'm a pastor, it's not because um, I'm so religious. It, it really has to do with I can't love my wife. Mm-hmm. You say you can't? No, I can't. Not because she's bad or ugly, but because she's a woman and I'm a man. It does not make sense. It just doesn't. I I raised daughters because I wanted daughters. I love daughters. But I still don't understand the mystery. It does not make sense to me. It's not that they're weird. It's just that I don't get it. I don't get it because there's this great divide. So when I love my wife the way I think she needs to be loved, it just does not work. But you see, I'll give you an example. Have you ever had an argument with your spouse? Mm-hmm. I don't mean necessarily a, I certainly don't mean it. We were never physical or anything, but a, a real I'm right, you're wrong kind of thing, right? And I knew I was right. I can picture it. I, I, I knew I was right. I mean, I honestly, I'm not, I swear to God, I knew I was right. And finally I turned around and I'm walking out and I stomp up the stairs. Ever stomped up a stairs? It's really dumb. It's childish. But it works. It makes you feel even more childish, I guess. I got halfway up the stairs and I heard the Holy Spirit. I know what his voice is like. I noticed and he said, she's right. Do you know what my first reaction is? You don't understand. (laughs) And I thought that was the dumbest thing to say. I'm really honest to God, but I feel really dumb sometimes. You know, what do you mean? He's the creator. He made her. And, And he didn't explain. He says, she's right. Apologize. And you know what I did? I said, God, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm wrong. Silence. I'm going down the stairs. I feel like the Holy Spirit literally is... Dr- I mean, it, it feels like this. I'm, I have no music, no, oh, Jesus. You know, I, I am just obeying. <laughs> down the stairs. I walk into the kitchen. I walk up to my wife, and I said, I was wrong. And I remember, I still don't know. I still don't get it. But the Creator said this. Okay, so the Creator said it, so I, I, I obeyed without understanding. You say, well, does that, that's kind of what this whole walk in the Spirit's about, is listening, knowing the voice, and that's what your job and the eldership's job is to teach us to hear his voice, but to obey even without understanding. God does not always explain his mystery to us. That's the mystery, but he's in us. So I, okay, long story short, I come up in the kitchen. I've learned, you obey this voice, I could tell you story after story of not obeying it and finding out the results, the wages of sin, even of not hearing the Holy Spirit is is a lot of death and I don't like it. I think the definition of spirituality is the time that we uh, are in error and we hear the voice of God and say yes to it. As that gets shorter, we're becoming more spiritual because we're following this Holy Spirit, no longer our own way. What I think, what I believe, what I, E, I, 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 I'm now listening to the Spirit of God. So I walked up to her and I said, "Uh, Kathy, I'm wrong. Now I almost lost it because the next thing she said is, I know. I did not like that, and I almost, you know how you get that like, sucking air. You're ready, to, and all of a sudden you realize, no, Almighty God, I don't get it, but Almighty God spoke to me. Stuff it. <laughs> and when I stuffed it and said, I'm not, 
The understanding now came through the obedience, not before the obedience. Now you're understanding a little, I do not know how to love my wife. I can do the best job of loving my wife possible and miss her entirely. And I, I, again, there's, there's many stories like this where as a pastor, uh, God has, has, has said, what are you going to do? I've learned to know that when God's, and his voice is not in sync with mine. <laughs> I'm not feeling the feeling. I'm not thinking the thought. It just interrupts. I can remember, uh, again, forgive me, but these are the early learning sessions, so we've heard the story before. I can remember, you know what pastors are supposed to do? Make sure worship is right. It's good. Okay, that's our job. We get paid to do that. And uh, by golly, we get good at it. And um, I, I was sitting in worship and thinking, you know, sitting down. And I was thinking, uh, actually, I don't know why I was sitting because we always stand. But I was sitting. That's kind of a bad indicator. I just thought of that now. Anyways, I was sitting. I was not worshiping. I was thinking how wrong it was. And I was going to stand up to change it. And as soon as I got this high up, God said, what are you going to do? Well, I said, well, I'm going to crack worship. It's obviously going really wrong. He says, I like it. <laughs> as pastors, as people, as you interact with people in the work marketplace, don't just react. Include Jesus. And you say, well, how do you do that? When you're about to do something, confess Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who lives. For I've been crucified with Christ. Not my way. It's not a denial of who you are. It's a denial that you know. You're an, I know, I know what to, how to handle this. It's a denial of that and saying, no, I'm going to take up the cross. I'm going to go Jesus' way. So over and over, I would say, this really is the switch for me. Because it is sometimes a switch. Do you know what I mean? Uh, flicking the switch to the spirit versus the flesh and so forth. And uh, that can sound so mystical. For me, it's as simple as, I need to talk to my wife, Lord. Or I need to talk to so-and-so. Or I need to do this or that. It's no longer I who lives. But Christ lives in me. Right now, you better talk through me, Jesus. Because I don't know how to communicate this. And the mystery is he shows up and brings the rule of God to the situation. God is God. We're not. But he works with us. And you don't have to earn the right to hear the Holy Spirit. All we have to do is confess Jesus your way. Uh, I'm about to do something I need you. And do you know what? He shows up. It's as simple as that. So in the whole story, what are we saying here? God chose Samuel, or God actually chose, and then Samuel affirmed Saul to be king. But God didn't just tell him to try. He then filled him with the power to be king. And then all he warns him is, don't detract from the track I've given you. Stay full of God. Walk in his ways. And there's times he didn't. And there's times you won't. But I urge all of us, come back. Confess it again. Jesus who dwells in me. You now speak. You now work. You now love. 
in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can you receive that? Amen. Did it sound guilt-ridden or are you like encouraged? Because my gift's encouragement and I know if it's working or not by whether people say, oh yeah, thank you, I can do that. Because if, if you're hearing a negative message, then just say, uh, he was off today. Just go home and be blessed. But if you're hearing the message of God, you are beautiful. You are God's person. And go and realize and rule with the authority, and, and that authority is really cool. So when people say, Jim, you're a great man of God, I say, yeah, I'd rather be known as the man of the great God. That's not false humility. That is the real thing. I want people to know Jesus, not them just to know me. I want them to be safe in his presence, especially kids. I love them to feel his presence, whether I even talk about Jesus. Whether I say a word, his presence is bringing that security right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I bless this Basildon church with the power, with the joy, and the love of a life who, like Saul, we can be anointed and filled with the power, the creative power of who you are. Not in some bombastic way, but in normal ways that become bombastic because their obedience to you. May we, Lord, always humbly lock the walk of just wanting you to be in charge all the time. And right now, in the name of Jesus, we're all confess that Galatians 2.20. Not me. You. Hey, the secret is Jesus in you. Hope of glory. Amen. And amen. Tim? Great stuff, eh? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. We've had uh, a great time with Jim being with us. We've already uh, enjoyed his uh, sharing with us this morning as well. And I just want to say to you how much we really do appreciate you. You do encourage us. And you have encouraged us. So take that. (laughs) Sock you with it. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all your speaking to us. Lord, I want to pray, Lord, that those words would go deep within us. We have the Holy Spirit at work within us. And we know, Father, that it's your desire to turn us into uh, a, a people that walk in your ways. Thank you, Father. Yeah, amen. It's good. So we're going to...